Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, hope everybody had a good 4th of July holiday weekend. We are back on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast for another edition off the holiday. Kind of reached a bit of the slowdown time in the summer, but we are still here for right now. Everybody's trying to get their vacations in, trying to get everything done before the football, the F word, the football season that will be here before we know it coming next month, but still some time for that. I am the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is uh, the guy that you read all the time. We love the insight on sportsmediawatch.com of John Lewis. You hear him on this podcast as well. All right. Uh, how was Fourth of July weekend? Good to be back with you, and, and good to be back on the podcast. Well, you know, it was uh, pretty quick. Uh, did a lot of work over the Fourth of July weekend, so it wasn't really that exciting in, in that way. Uh, and the fireworks were more loud and cacophonous than anything else. So, you know, I mean, uh, hey, it was better than the last Fourth of July. Uh, that was when there was a lot of breaking news about Nichols and Taylor and the, all that nonsense. And the finals was actually right around the corner a year ago today. I don't mind the slow. I don't mind the slowness by comparison. That is interesting because the Stanley Cup finals were ending the nba finals were in progress and all of that was last july 4th that's amazing yeah. uh, from this time a year ago so we're ready to go over everything that's happening now in the present day having gotten through uh july 4th weekend um again however you found this podcast thank you for doing so uh, it's part of the sports media watch uh, feed of shows, not only ours. We're going to talk more about a couple of the other shows that are on the feed in just a second. But however you found us through John's website, through a social media link, thank you for landing. And you're going to want to be here because there's a lot of different, not only takes, but special guests that are that are building. Uh, John here, I mean, I, I know there are fans that have reached out to us, that have reached out to you and reached out to us, that they're enjoying not only the content of our back and forth, the content of Mike and also Phil on the Announcer Schedules podcast, but also George Offman's podcast as well, and the diversity of different guests that we're having that they can hear from the sports media outlets and world. So again, the easiest way to find us is follow and subscribe this podcast feed. Just look for Sports Media Watch in the search for Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, follow or subscribe. New shows coming to you all the time, and you don't have to be prompted uh, to go look for them through social media or John's site. Not that we don't want you to visit John's site, but you will get an automatic notification when there is a new episode of one of these podcasts, including one of the interviews, one of the conversation interviews that might be standing alone, like Kevin Kugler. John, I don't know if you got to hear some of this. Kevin Kugler of Westwood One, Fox Sports, the Big Ten Network, was the guest on the Announcer Schedules podcast, and I thought it was fascinating. I've known Kevin for the better part, uh, really, of his rise into national prominence uh, through Westwood One, but now branching out to Fox Sports and uh, and the Big Ten Network. I thought that was a fascinating interview about a, a kid dreaming as a teenager of just calling games who at one point was doing Division II women's basketball on the radio in Nebraska, wondering if anybody is listening, 
who's now doing the national championship game of college basketball, the final round of the Masters, the NFL on Fox. Talk about dreaming the dream and being able to, to realize the dream. Well, you know, part of that is we all forget that radio is still broadcasting. And uh, so you can kind of sneakily get a great career. No one even realizes Marv Albert called more Super Bowls than NBA finals because he was doing them for Westwood one. What a great trivia question. That's true. Yes. I think it's true. I mean, I'm pretty sure because he did what, what, 91, 92, 93, 94, 5, 6, 7, 01, and 02. So that's like nine in the NBA. And then the Super Bowl, I'm pretty sure he did for more than a decade. So. I believe I believe because, again, we will defer to our man, George Hoffman, and tell me a story I don't know. He had Marv on the podcast uh, as Marv wrapped up his career last year at 80 years of age. And I believe it was 15 consecutive wow. Super Bowls. We got to go back and look that he did nationally. Um, so it's something like that. So, yes, you're right. But that's that's an impressive trivia question that you would you would find. You're right, though, on radio. Uh, so many, you know, for example, you mentioned uh, last week we were talking about St. Louis Cardinals announcers and you mentioned Jack Buck. Jack Buck and Hank Stram did the Super Bowl on radio. I, I want to say at least a half dozen, maybe 10 times in a row in the late 70s and the 1980s. They were the voices of yeah. the NFL in the Super Bowl then when it was being yeah. held because of radio. And uh, and some of the different ones that have that have been doing it. Brent Musburger, by the way, very prominently on ESPN radio for a lot of years doing the NBA finals, uh, doing college football bowl games, just as another example uh, of that. So in any event, uh, yes, Kugler, fascinating story. You can go back on this podcast feed and hear it as its own conversation with Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mullen as they. uh, they talked with him about his career. He did say at one point, John, while I'm just plugging that, there was a week in February last year where he did seven games, seven nights in seven different places. And once you get, and he even said this, once you get to like night four or night five, you talk about airport, hotel, arena, airport, yeah. hotel, arena. And one of them was a fill-in because uh, of the fact that I believe Tim Brando, as he was saying in the story, could not get out of Shreveport, Louisiana, due to bad weather to come do, I want to say, an Ohio State-Illinois game, I think it was, the Big Ten. Hmm. And so in that case, Kugler flew from New York, got to Chicago, got in the car, drove to Champaign, and did did the game. And that was the seventh game in seven nights in seven Hmm. different places from the midwest to tobacco road to the northeast and back to the midwest to do games welcome to the life of the announcer you think it's all glamorous it's not all glamorous when you're in the airport and in the hotel and having to travel and be away from your family too yeah imagine driving uh, all that travel just to get to an illinois football game and there's uh, people who live here who never go <laughs> that's so. true on uh, on some of those. So anyway, good stuff uh, from Kevin from Kevin Kugler last week. Uh, we are going to get to the topics here. We are mindful, by the way, of what has happened. Speaking of of George, his podcast is delayed. We're mindful of what has happened in Highland Park, Illinois, with the horrific uh, shooting tragedy at uh, the the Fourth of July parade that is there. Uh, John, I know you're going to have a comment here. I, I know we'd stick to sports and sports media and try to liven it up. 
But I want to make everybody aware. We're aware of that. It's why George's podcast has been delayed. It is a horrific thing that has happened in the Chicago area. And unfortunately, it's happened far too often. Uh, Buffalo, New York, Uvalde, Texas, over and over again, John. And uh, we just hope we can be some kind of a diversion while this is being resolved, however it can be resolved so that people can safely go about their lives. Yeah, you know, pretty clear that there's a, a real issue in this country, even beyond the one that already existed. Uh, repeatedly 18 year old to 20 year old young men, you know, uh, uh, this one in Chicago was 22. So the discussion of restricting certain weapons to people at certain ages, he would still have been able to get it. But uh, it's pretty clear there's a lot of young men out there with, you know, just these homicide. Well, I don't want to say a lot. I don't want to overgeneralize. But, you know, I mean, it's become a, a young man you know, disease almost what we've been seeing. So one of the things that I do think is very important, I've been thinking about this really, you know, we've been living in this kind of era of repeated mass shootings in this country for a long time. It's only getting worse. Uh, I, you know, at some point we're going to have to, in the sports world, really step up the security. Uh, I was thinking a lot, you know, for example, all those big crowds we see at game day or inside the NBA, you mm -hmm. kind of got to hold your breath at this point. Uh, when I was watching the Raptors parade, I felt, and this is back in 19, I felt the whole time something was going to happen. And then they did have a scare. You know, you, you see the Deer District, and it wasn't a surprise at all when, when there was a scare there. But one of these the days- The Deer District not, being Milwaukee, yeah, but there's exactly. celebration with tens of thousands of fans there, right? right? But one of these days, it's not just going to be a scare. It's not going to be, you know, some gang violence further down the, the street that happens and people hear it and think something's happening. One day it's going to actually happen. And so figuring out how to prevent that, if it's at all possible, you know, uh, all I can say is there's got to be. But then again, you say, well, you got to increase security. There's plenty of security at that parade yesterday. Absolutely. So. Uh, well, I, and the thing I, I was thinking of when you were saying this, and we, we now are about five years on to the horrific, they're all horrific, horrific on steroids times five shooting in Las Vegas mm -hmm. that was at the country music yeah. festival concert that was in Las Vegas. And uh, that, that went on for the better part of 20 or 30 minutes, horrifically, with 50-something people dying. People came from all over the country to be at this concert. And it was on the eve of the Las Vegas Golden Knights, the Vegas Golden Knights playing their first ever NHL game at home. And I still remember, uh, as we bring this back to sports, the tributes they did that night uh, for the families of those that, that had lost loved ones and they had the likenesses of all of the different people that had been killed, did a, did a tribute on the ice. And then the team goes out to play their inaugural debut game in the regular season. They had played a couple of preseason games and they scored John to bring it back to how sports can unify. They scored like three goals, two or three goals right away in that first game. And I kept joking. I believe the team was the Chicago Blackhawks. And I want to yeah. say the Blackhawks may have been the defending champs. So anyway, no. Vegas scores like two or three times right away. And it was almost like the Blackhawks can go get on the bus. This is over. Right. This is over with. With all the emotion and everything that has happened in this team's debut and the pinup, uh, you know, just devastation of the area and and psychologically, they need something else. They need a release. They need sports to energize them. It was amazing to watch that night. So, 
Uh, and I know there are there are athletes as we speak that are speaking out about this. Chicago White Sox players that are speaking out about this. Professional athletes in Chicago, uh, no different than the ones that are in Texas. Uh, for example, the Tampa Bay Rays have a relief pitcher who still pitches for them uh, right now with the big club who is a former resident uh, raised, I don't think he was born there, but raised in Uvalde, Texas, and went to that elementary school and went all the way through the school system in Uvalde, Texas. And he has been very outspoken now for the last month about gun violence. What can we do? What can we do as Major League Baseball uh, for safety, for education on this? So we just, we, I just want to acknowledge, we understand we're about to talk about sports media and the fun and game of sports, but I didn't want people to think here at the beginning of it that we're not aware, and we are aware. We're human beings, uh, and and we see this. And and as and John, you know this as a parent, you're horrified with your kids. Are, are you going? You you know, if a parade is not safe, if yeah. in Buffalo going to the grocery store, John, is yeah. not safe to go shop for groceries. Uh, it, it's it, you it makes your stomach turn. It makes you worry. So again, uh, George will have Corey McFerrin, the longtime uh, television anchor in Chicago who got his career start as a sports reporter and sports anchor in Chicago. And again, has, has covered a bunch of different national events. Corey McFerrin tells the story as John has been teasing uh, or as George has been teasing, John, he tells the story of being at the 1989 Earthquake World Series, the Giants mm -hmm. and the A's. Corey McFerrin was working for ABC and WABC Sports and was doing live uh, local station uh, updates on their newscasts coming from San Francisco to all the stations that would want it. He was the guy saying, hey, we're checking in live from the World Series when the earthquake happened. In the, in the Giants-A's World Series because ABC was the television partner that year for the World Series. So Corey tells that story. Uh, again, he tells the story about being in Cleveland for the Cubs and the, uh, and the Indians and the World Series, even as a news anchor being there and what that was like. So some good stuff. And again, George's podcast, we've, we've changed up the batting order. George's podcast will be out Wednesday, midweek. Again, if you're following or subscribing, you're automatically going to get the podcast whenever they're out. We encourage you to do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Find us under the Sports Media Watch uh, podcast feed, and you'll get these podcasts when they're out. But George with Corey McFerrin, a bit delayed because of the awful tragedy at the Highland Park Parade in the Chicago suburbs. He's out later in the week. Let's get into a couple of topics and have some fun. So the first one is we should have known uh, that that uh, that in and around July is a crazy time for college football realignment. Why? Because it seems like about five different times over the last decade, something has come out of nowhere in a July. Uh, and, and a lot of it has to do with ESPN, by the way, and ESPN moving people around and pieces on the board around people, teams, uh, colleges, universities, and their athletic departments around the different conferences that they have television deals with. For example, and this happened in July about a decade ago, uh, when, when the Big East did not want to renew their television deal with ESPN, ESPN put the groundwork into motion to basically torpedo the Big East and, and put programs into the ACC, a, a conference, the Atlantic Coast Conference that they had a television deal with. And that's the reason why Miami, Boston College, Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh, and Syracuse all ended up in the ACC. That was not a coincidence. That was orchestrated behind the scenes by a television network that has that much power and influence to be able to convince these schools to do it. So the point I'm coming to 
is that the two stalwarts of what was the Pacific Eight Conference and eventually the Pacific Ten Conference and now the Pacific Twelve Conference, the Pac Ten, the Pac Twelve. What in the name of John Wooden are UCLA? What in what in the name of Heisman yeah. U for football are UCLA and USC doing? Jumping to the Big Ten and leaving their brothers in the Pac-12 and and basically almost guaranteeing that the Pac-12 is going to disintegrate as we yeah. know it. All right, John, your read on why this happened. TV money's a big reason, but give me your insight on why this happened, why those two, why the Big Ten, why, why, why. Well, you know, it's going to be the Pac-4 soon enough, right? Everyone's going to be leaving. Uh, the reality is that the Big Ten is going to get tremendous amounts of TV money. And if you look at the two most valuable schools in the Pac-12, you're talking about really the two California schools, the two Los Angeles schools, and you're talking about Oregon. Uh, Oregon probably will go somewhere at some point. I mean, with Oregon there, the Pac-12 is still viable, right? You know, I mean, that's, you got all that Phil Knight money there. If they can replace UCLA and USC with passable schools, so uh, I think Boise State would be a passable school in this scenario. Uh, you know, you can you're not going to be able to do well, but you can, you know, look, the AAC and uh, the Big East, they're not doing well, but they can hold their own. Um, ultimately, you're still going to have an automatic bid into the into the Rose Bowl. You know, you're still going to have, you know, some semblance of a TV presence, although at a level that you might not like financially compared to what you could have had. Um, the reality of the matter is, though, it's great for the it's great for the UCLA and USC. The big they're not going to the SEC where it'd be like, wow, you're really wow. They're going to the Big Ten. The Big Ten and Pac-12 are ideologically aligned in a lot of ways. You know, I'm not going to go into the red and the blue. But if we were to divide the college conferences into the red and the blue, we know the SEC and the ACC are pretty red. And the two blue conferences are probably the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. So you're not really shifting your culture in a big way. Can uh, I stop you, though? I'm just having fun with you. This doesn't sure. have to do with red and blue. This has to do with green. Well, green, so does red and greed, blue. Green, greed, and money is the only yeah. reason why this is being done. And I, I understand from alumni and from those that are fans of these programs, they they believe, a lot of people believe, they have just sold out. UCLA and USC have simply sold out for money, for all of the tradition, all of the things that have been built for 60 and 70 years for those programs and the Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12. They believe they've sold out for green, not political ideology, not academics. Right. Please, stop. Well, I'm not saying you. Stop with the academics. This is, this is about the Big Ten can pay them a hundred million dollars a school and the pac 12 yeah. is never going to get to that level. It doesn't look like anywhere close to that, John. That's yeah, so. yeah. no, it, it is absolutely all about the money, but you know, it, you know, if you're going to make it all about the money, it's always better when you can do it in a way that fits your brand identity too. So I do think that the big 10 as a brand kind of is more similar to the pac 12. And ultimately, even though the big 10 is a regional conference, it doesn't say, you know, Midwestern, it says the Big Ten. The Big Ten can be anything. You can get Oxford, you know, in there if you wanted, <laughs> right? So the reality is that uh, I think it's going to be great for those two schools to, you know, Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, maybe you get uh, some Notre Dame. They've, there's been talk about Notre Dame. Right. Maybe you get Oregon. I mean, we'll get to that in a second. Really, this could be a Do really nice Do you believe, conference. all right, so this is television driven. The Pac-12 is in big trouble do you believe that the Pac-12 
will disintegrate now because they never got the big time TV deal. The Pac-12 television network never took off. And it is a matter of time before the Big Ten going down a checklist goes and grabs the two Oregon schools, goes and grabs maybe the two Washington schools. I've heard from media people. They've been talking about this on the record, on shows, in print and everywhere that uh, from the California university system, here we go back to academia, that UCLA, USC, they're aligned with Cal, that Cal has to be part of this deal. Cal Berkeley has to be part of this deal. Stanford is a private institution. So there's some belief that the Big Ten is just going to go full buffet here and Mm -hmm. go get all eight of those schools, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, Cal and Stanford to join USC and UCLA and make a Big Ten West, essentially, of those Western teams. Do you buy any of that? What do you what do you buy on that? Because, first of all, it is all about money. And Cal, you know, uh, with apologies to their gymnastics team, I'm pretty sure Cal isn't really all that good at anything else. Right. What else is Cal good at? Not regularly. Right. Yeah. So um, why would you need Cal? Why would you need Stanford? San Francisco television market would be part of the argument, right? Well, yeah, uh, I feel like you got to also be good. I mean, but then again, they picked up Rutgers, which was ridiculous, right? Exactly. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. Nebraska hasn't been any good at football or basketball for five years. Oh, I don't don't even, I don't, I, I will tell you right now, if they had it to do over again, I don't think they pick up. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Nebraska probably not yeah but it's the same with Rutgers the Rutgers thing was supposed to be for the New York television market to try to help them I can tell you that the New York they don't get ratings off of Rutgers who cares they got on they got on in New York because they were the Big Ten with Michigan and Ohio State and Wisconsin and the powerhouse programs doesn't have anything to do with Rutgers in specific but anyway uh the San Francisco TV market would be there for that one uh the Portland and the brand of Oregon and Phil Knight's money would be there for that one. And then obviously Seattle is a, is a humongous market that if the big 10 wanted to go that route, there, there is a lot of belief that we are headed for a big 10. That's going to have 24 teams that there is a, there is a real distinct possibility. The sec may have 24 teams. Well, you start looking at who are the logical other teams that would be powerful enough major tv markets just putting that out there what else well i just feel like if they're going to do that you don't have to go regional the big 10 does not have to be regional why you don't need stanford and cal you can get notre dame you know maybe it's kind of a obviously from a football perspective ridiculous but maybe you get kansas right for the basketball team Mm -hmm. you know i mean you can you can really get a truly national conference here and you know we talk about academia no one in academia, at least not at the administrative level, cares one iota about education, right? Can we be real about that? <laughs> um, but what you can do is- It's bizarre and ironic to say that, but it's true, yes. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's 100% true. And what you can do is you can create a brand 
that is education-based, right? This is a brand to sell parents, right? That's all universities are, is a nice lie sold to parents about how great and you know everything will be. If you just give us $80,000, we will set your kid on this incredible path to success, right? And what you can do is you can create a brand that is academic focused. You know, So looking at it right here, you have uh, pretty much the entire Big 10. You have Arizona. You have, uh, you know, uh, let's see, um, Northwestern is already mm -hmm. there. Easy to forget Northwestern is in the Big Ten already. It's kind of easy to forget Northwestern. And in fairness, it's easy to forget a lot of these Big Ten teams too. Illinois, uh, pretty much all of Illinois' football on the college level and pro level is pretty forgettable. But that's, I, I digress. But anyway, uh, you know, they're not going to pick up Tulane. Rice? I didn't know Rice was part of this. Wow, Rice and Tulane. That's surprising. I mean, not surprising, but, you know, right. You no one ever talks about them that but way. In terms of academia, yes. Right, right. Uh, Berkeley, Buffalo. Oh, they could really uh, pick up quite a few, quite a few teams that they're definitely not going to pick up. Uh, are a part of this. UC Davis. I don't even think they've got a football. <laughs> I team. don't think. That, no, I don't. They do, but it's Texas A and M. It's at the FCS level. Texas A and M. Yeah, I had no idea Texas A and M was. So, in this. so let me just bring this back. I want your feeling on this. You yeah. are disagreeing with me that the pack. The, the the old Pac-12 isn't going to disintegrate and there's not going to be some version of like a Big Ten West that includes the Oregon schools, the Washington schools, Cal and Stanford, because that rumor is out there that that is what this is eventually leading to within the next year or two. Right. Let's put it this way, your opinion. Why would any of these schools right now hang on to some hope that the Pac-12 is going to be anything come TV negotiating time, as opposed to go grab the $100 million a year lifeboat from the Big Ten? Your thought well, on that? Because the third place finisher still gets a bronze medal, right? So if you're not the FCC and you're not the uh, the Big Ten, if you can be the third conference, well, CBS is still going to want some rights, right? right. You know, NBC is going to want some rights. You know, there's so many sports networks. You're not going to be able to get the kind of money that the SEC and the Big Ten are getting. But, you know, maybe, you know, I mean, if the SEC and Big Ten are locked up and an Amazon really wants to make a big push and Apple, I mean, Apple just gave 250 million a year at minimum to the to MLS. I mean, there's opportunity out there. And the reality is, obviously, it would be better to be part of the, you know, the richest conference. But, uh, you know, I do think there you know, the Pac-12 will still be a competent university without, uh, you know, those those two schools. And, you know, now if they get completely rated where it's everybody and it is what you're talking about, the Big Ten West, then there's going to be no conference. Well, you got to watch and you got to watch the Big 12 because the Big 12 may may move right in on Colorado, who used to be part of their footprint and put and put them back in uh, to a Big 12 that has kansas and has oklahoma state has team has teams that they were familiar with big 12 could make a move on the two arizona schools and say regionally tie into us and and, uh, and all the schools might go to the university of utah and say hey we already have byu in our fold for that rivalry and if you and again the motive for the big 12 is you lock up the state of utah and salt lake city you lock up colorado you lock up denver you lock up arizona and you lock up Phoenix and Tucson with those schools. Now the Big 12 TV deal is much more appetizing to yeah. add those different schools if they can get them. That's that's why I wonder if the Pac-12 is now the Pac-10 with UCLA and USC going bye-bye mm -hmm. is going to be able to hold together versus everybody grab what you can grab in a conference that still exists. It's an amazing time.
an amazing time. Well, With welcome that, to for college sure. sports. Yeah, welcome and welcome to realignment. And we're not done yet. And uh, the SEC will have a say so as well, because again, the you mentioned Kansas. All right, so the, the Kansas piece is a very interesting piece, whether it's the Big Ten trying to grab them or the SEC trying to grab them because of the basketball and the Kansas City television market. Watch, watch them. Watch, again, the Arizona schools. Watch uh, Florida State and Clemson. What do they do? Yeah. Those are those are the Notre Dame, as you mentioned, and and this one more on this. Uh, this it's amazing that they had this alliance, the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 that everybody's making so much fun of, and they should, because as soon as Kevin Warren and the Big Ten conference and everybody that's involved with it could, as somebody put, stick the stick the shiv in the in the Pac-12 yeah. and go get two other schools, they did it. And as soon as Notre Dame can do the same thing, stick the knife in the ACC, who threw them a lifeline, who threw Notre Dame a lifeline in 2020 and said, we realize you're not going to be able to play football here if we don't do some kind of deal with you where you can come play as an ACC member and play all of our schools and play in our championship game and make the college football playoff potentially, which they did. For Notre Dame to turn right around and betray the ACC and say, thanks, thanks, we'll go to the Big Ten. That alliance, oh, John, what a, well, it wasn't even really an alliance, was it? And then, I mean, Notre Dame has always been more associated with the Big Ten than the ACC. It never made sense right. to begin with. Their biggest rivals are in the Big Ten, you know, Michigan and Michigan State, you know, or obviously USC and Stanford. They had no real rivalries in the ACC, about Pittsburgh. So it never made any sense. Uh, it worked out in 20 for Notre Dame. It worked out in 20 for the ACC, too, because they had the top two teams in the country for a while and right. had a couple of those big big uh, monumental uh, matchups then. But, you know, I mean, as far as the ACC goes, again, there's nothing wrong with third place. You know, uh, it's not where you really want to be, but you can survive there. And you still got a conference that has Florida State and Miami, if that still matters to anybody, but they're still there. Uh, you've got, you know, uh, the New York market by Syracuse. You know, I mean, there's not really much there. I'm trying to think who's really what are the what are the top teams in the ACC? What Virginia? Besides Duke and Carolina basketball. Oh yeah. What wow. else? What yeah. else do you really have from a football standpoint besides right. Clemson? And that's what the fear would be that if the SEC comes calling and gets Clemson and Florida State yeah. out of the football aspect, not good in the arms race. So no. okay, so we've covered. It's that interesting. Way. I was just going to say, it's interesting the way it works. When you talk about football, I completely forgot that Duke and North Carolina existed. You know, you're, you're so football right. focused. It's like uh, I forgot, like the two biggest teams in in college basketball who just played in the Final Four. That's true, and that is a that is something that the ACC has gotten away with, gotten away from because of their drive to add schools for football, but they were, they were the basketball league. They were known forever in the seventies, the eighties and the nineties as the basketball conference because of Duke and Carolina leading the way in that conference. All right. So lots on conference realignment there. A couple of more subjects that we want to cover. We will get to some love it or leave it. You want to say something about the Kevin Durant uh, trade request, NBA free agency, and now possible trades that are going on. So go ahead, John, weigh in on this. Well, you know, I just figured we should talk about it. The fact is, it's another big NBA free agency moment. And, you know, I guess it comes down to how good is it for the NBA that the biggest drama every year is in July and not June. You know, uh, ultimately, player, player autonomy, I think, is a very good thing. Right. I think there's a lot of folks out there who seem to kind of want to go back to the days of the reserve clause. 
you know, and, and Kurt Flood having to sue, you know, I mean, the reality is it's good that players are able to decide the most basic thing in the world, which is where am I going to live? Where am I going to, where am I going to work? You know, the idea that your job should be able to determine where you live and where you work, that doesn't work for everybody. And if you're a multimillionaire, you especially, it doesn't work for you. If you've got the leverage to decide, you know what, I think this working environment is a little toxic. I don't know, but my coworker is kind of erratic and uh, kind of dooming our, our chances. So I'm going to leave. You know, if that's actually not Kevin's logic because he likes Kyrie and I think is actually opposed to how the uh, team dealt with him. But you get the idea. And it's it's perfectly fine that, that Durant would want to do that. The issue isn't what Durant is doing. It's that there's no stability in the NBA. Player autonomy is great it would just be really nice if the players wanted to stay with their teams more than a couple of years okay so you just you just went where i was going to go player right. autonomy is not great sorry player autonomy gives you what you have here which is the players are now running the league on who's going right. to be with what with where with how and oh by the way you can market around me sell my jerseys get everybody excited but ultimately if you have player autonomy I'll just decide to do what Durant is doing or what LeBron has done. And there's any, any number of guys that have forced out of their situation in the NBA. It's not just specific to those two. Those are two of the most powerful ones. I'll opt out of my deal or in Durant's case, this is fascinating. He has what John three years or I think four years left on his deal. So he's trying to force a trade to somewhere and get somebody to take on his salary, et cetera. And then the nets are looking at, what are we getting in return? What value are we getting in return? It's not a straight free agency deal here yeah. on, on where he can go. I would submit to you, this is what turns a lot of people off about the NBA from a product standpoint, right. that it seems that there's too much player autonomy and they don't have the best interest of all the franchises and the fans in mind when they're doing this. Just a counterpoint. Um, go ahead. My, my thought is it's not an issue of, I, I believe it's good that the players can do this. Uh, I'm, you know, kind of pro live your life as you see fit, but it's just, it's the problem. Isn't that the players are making these decisions. It's that the players don't want to stay where they are for an extended period of time. So this is actually all the owner's fault. The reality is in 1998, they eliminated the ability for teams to go over the salary cap and sign a player to whatever salary that they desired. This is why Jordan was making $30 million a year at a time when nobody was making anything close to that. Cause you could go over the cap to right. sign a one player. That was the bird rights thing. I called I the Larry bird exception. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that David Stern came up with resign yeah. your own guys, one of your own guys for whatever you want to resign them for. And you can go over the cap to do it. Correct. Right. And this is why, you know, Minnesota went out and they gave a huge deal to Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett was, you know, 14 years old at the time or slightly older than that and hadn't really proven himself in the league. And people were very upset. So they decided, well, we are not going to allow this to happen again. And the owners created a world where the teams now have no leverage. Teams, basically, you can give one extra year and maybe a little bit extra in salary. And when you're talking about living in a place that you don't want to live in an organization that is toxic and not living, not working with your friends, working with people you don't really like for a coach you don't really like in a city you don't really like for a team that's not good. And the only leverage that that team has is they can pay you slightly more for an additional year. No one's going to do that. 
the only way that you're going to keep a Kevin Durant in Oklahoma City is if OKC can go way beyond what any other team can possibly give. You, it's got to be an offer that the player can't refuse. Or you're going to have to make sure that you don't have teams in cities that players don't want to play in, like Oklahoma City and Salt Lake City and Indianapolis uh, and Toronto, frankly. Uh, so those are your options. But the owners created this. The owners also were the ones who, in the 2005 CBA, shortened the contracts so that the contracts now are not as long. It used to be six and seven year deals. Who knows what Durant is doing if he has seven years on his contract, maybe the same exact thing. But the fact of the matter is the owners are the ones that got rid of the uh, ability to re-sign a player beyond the cap. The owners are the ones who shortened the contracts. And this is the result of what they specifically set out to do in consecutive CBAs. Right. And, you know, uh, it is what it is. You know, so I will I mean, push back again on this. Kevin Durant, four years left on his deal. I just looked. Uh, it's one thing for the point you're making if you are a free agent and you want to move somewhere else. But remember, the big to do was he wanted to go out on his own and not be with the Warriors anymore and sign for the most money and go be in the New York market and all those different factors. And he made a long term contractual commitment to them that now, two years, you know, plus into it, he wants everybody to forget that he committed for four or five or six years yeah. and wants to be somewhere else. And that's not the owners of the Brooklyn Nets fault at this point. That's, yeah. that's Kevin Durant doing that because they went in this together. I think, I think another problem, and then we'll move on off of this particular point. I think another problem that a lot of fans have when I interacted with fans on sports radio regularly, which I, I've done even as recently as a few years ago, interact with fans all the time on social media is they don't want players to be the de facto GM of their team and their team not be any good. So in other words, Tom Brady being the de facto GM of the Buccaneers and helping them select players is great as long as you are winning and you have success. If you're letting a player, speaking of player autonomy, essentially be the de facto GM, LeBron with LA, Durant with whomever, and start going over, you know, whoever it is in Major League Baseball, that's that's the guy that's, you know, I'm not going to be here if you don't give me some say-so in personnel and whoever it is. That turns fans off, I believe, yeah. on that. Not but, all know, of them, but a lot of them. Right. I understand, but it's just one of those deals where this is just players exercising their leverage the way that owners do all the time. You know, I mean, uh, people have so much scorn for LeBron being this cold, calculating guy. Well, guess what? That's everyone who owns every single team in every single sport. That's how they all got there. True. Uh, you know, the reality is it would have been great if, you know, the Cavaliers were able to stop the Orlando Magic from hitting 53 threes in the 09 conference finals. They go to the finals, maybe beat the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers are pretty good that year, and maybe that changes everything. Maybe LeBron stays his whole career. He probably wouldn't have, though. I mean, the fact is the original sin in sports is the draft, which, you know, Mike Florio has said this before. Um, I'm not getting that idea from him. Uh, the fact is, this is something that's been pretty common knowledge for a long time. It's a, it's an antitrust violation. And that's what the draft is. I mean, well, but you know. I'm, I'm going to push back again. I'm pushing back on you all the time here on the uh, sports media watch podcast, John Lewis, uh, Florio's take in a vacuum, like you like to say in a, in a bubble is a great take of, we should do this fairly and everybody should have the same opportunity to be able to sign the players. And here's where that take falls apart. If you don't have a salary structure and responsible owners, uh, adhering to all of it, then the most powerful teams will be able to overpay 
And that's where all the players will want to go. And like you listed, Indianapolis, Minneapolis, Salt Lake City, New Orleans, they're all going to lose out because they're not the biggest markets. You're losing out anyway. Well, eventually they might lose out by uh, by not being able to retain their players, but they at least have a chance to compete because of the draft, because of being able to make your team better premise-wise because of the draft. So I, I push back on that one just overall mm-hmm. that it is – idiotic idiotic Mm -hmm. to have 30 teams or 32 teams if you're not going to have a draft where a lot of them that aren't very good and in smaller markets at least have Mm -hmm. some chance to restock with players why have 32 teams right why why only why not not just make it a 12 team league if that's the case in the major markets your response yeah here's here's my counter so my counter is one these teams were already missing out where did Magic Johnson go in the draft? To the Lakers? He didn't right. go to, you know, Kansas City. That, that fell Kansas City, because of a, of a trade. But where did right. where did Zion Williamson go as number one? Well, he yeah. To but, New Orleans right. because of a draft. Zion, That's by the true. way, just re-upping this week for John Lewis type money at $200 million more. And he hasn't played a game, I think, uh, since the Barack Obama administration. Okay, I'm over-exaggerating. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, but now, he's John making Lewis money. That, that's the congressman, John Lewis, not me, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The I'm just saying they got the number one overall pick, and that's where Zion Williamson ended up. The Cincinnati right. Bengals would never, ever, ever be able yeah, to get a Joe true. Burrow from LSU to come play for them, except the common draft said you have the number one pick. The Indianapolis Colts would have never gotten Andrew Luck from Stanford except the common draft said you have the number one pick. You're getting that player. Yeah. Hey, look, it wouldn't be fun, but the fact of the matter is, you know, if you want a circumstance where players are not basing their decisions on, you know, who they want to be pals with, then, you know, that's kind of what you're going to end up with. Like one way or the other, players are going to act in their self-interest. They're just like everybody else. If given autonomy which is what well, your premise well, was at the beginning. If exactly. given the chance, if given the chance to be yeah. able to uh, be GM and mm-hmm. dictate who the other personnel are. And that's where it's, it's much more prevalent in the NBA. It doesn't right. exist. It doesn't exist in major league baseball. It doesn't exist really in hockey that there, there's not player autonomy dictating rosters right. and movements, but in any event, uh, I, I know we've, we've kind of gone round and round, on this we we do know this kevin durant is trying to force a trade do you believe it will be the phoenix suns to bring it back to that where do you think he will end up seeing as how he's basically told the brooklyn nets even though i committed to getting married to you and even though i signed a seven-year deal i'm not even halfway through it and i now want out of it well the reality is that durant would cement himself as the ultimate front runner if he went to phoenix or golden state you know i mean it would be legacy altering but his legacy has already been called into question you know legacies who cares right but he seems to uh you know and uh, the reality is that uh, i don't think there's any coming back from going to a 64 win team you know uh to me it, it would just be unbelievable for him to do that twice in his career um lebron for all the faults that people find with lebron you know he went to a team in miami that hadn't been out of the first round of the playoffs since 2006 and had been kind of a middle of the road team that had won 15 games more recently than a championship he went to a Cavs team that had missed the playoffs four years in a row uh, and he went to a laker team that had missed the playoffs what six seven years in a row uh you know durant going to you know another 60 plus win team a team that was just you know, a year removed from the finals. In fact, a year ago today, they still hadn't played their first finals game. 
that would just be, you know, kind of absurdist, right? But uh, look, by the way, the me, Milwaukee Bucks don't exist in your in your world. That's true. And they well, won the look, NBA championship last year. The here's so okay. Let's <laughs> let's go back into it then. Here, here's my argument, right? And my argument is not against small market teams. It is simply that ultimately, you know, your you argument is the destruction of small market teams. No, my argument, argument is let the richest do whatever they want. Let it dictate to the players, and then the little guy doesn't exist. No, my argument is that if you want an NBA where the players are focused not on the issues that they're focused on, then you want an NBA where the players can operate in the free market and make as much money as they want, because that is what is going to override everything else. This is a business. And if Kevin Durant is getting paid, you know, I mean, look at how much, look at how much just backing up the Brinks truck has already altered sports, right? They backed up the Brinks truck and the PGA tour is over. Basic. Well, not over. You know what I mean. But it's, it's damaged really. Right. 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 Backing up the Brinks truck, it's on a much lower scale. But backing up the Brinks truck brought all those women's basketball players over to Russia. And look what is happening now because Brittany Griner is stuck there. Backing up the Brinks truck changes everything. Now, in the NBA, you can't fully back up the Brinks truck because ultimately you have all of these rules that prevent you from paying players beyond what is normal. And so, because you don't have that in there and you, you know, the impacts of that would be certainly very interesting. Uh, you believe that it would be in the complete elimination of small market teams. It's not I, believe, I believe it would be. No, well, it I would mean, be, you would eliminate all of the small right. market. Team. You're talking now, about, you're you, talking about yeah. no salary cap, right? You're talking yeah. about, okay. That's the elimination of the smaller market. The end. It's not what I believe. That's the end of them. In baseball, they still have some small market teams, okay. right? So there's there's the example that I was waiting for. Okay. So in, in baseball, you have something called the central fund, and the central fund is basically keeping their smaller market air quotes, and some of them are in, are in larger television markets, but they operate as a smaller market team, that is keeping them alive. And every year, they are eliminated from competition by about August the 1st, that entire group of the smaller market teams. And so for the better part of about a 25-year career, I have said over and over again, there is a two-class system of professional baseball. You have Major League Baseball being played by about eight or 10 teams, what you're talking about, and then you have about 20 teams playing professional baseball at a lower level uh, that aren't competing with the teams that are up in the top eight. And that's the reason why the teams that spend the most that are in the biggest markets are always winning and are always in the playoffs. And the teams that are relying off the baseball central fund to give them a hundred million extra dollars every year because of what they don't spend and how small their market is, they play a lower tier professional baseball. It's a two tier system in major league baseball that doesn't exist in the NBA it doesn't exist in the uh, National Football League or the National Hockey League because the salary cap system allows everybody else to be competitive the same way, right. pay players the same way. So that that's the reason why in Pittsburgh and Kansas City and uh, Cincinnati right now and a lot of these other markets, by and large, it's over by August 1st every year. Two-class system in baseball. And yet... Kansas City has won as many World Series and been to as many World Series as the Yankees over the past 20 years, right? You know, and the reality of the matter is that those teams, those small they were accidentally years, good for about two or three years. Yes. Yeah. Well, two years. It was two years. You know, two or three hey. years they were world championship level and got one. 
Hey, and you can say the exact same thing about Florida State, and they're still pretty impressive in terms of uh, well, people no, wanting Florida, them. Wait, wait, wait. Florida, Florida State was dominant for like a 20-year time period in, under in Bobby the Bell la- in the 80s. In the last 20 no, no, no. years. Yeah, in the last 20 years. In yeah, the last probably. 20 years, Florida State is the Kansas City Royals yeah, but I mean, in, in, in the last 20 years, while we're on this subject, um, Pittsburgh Pirates, not, not relevant yeah. once. Yeah. Cincinnati Cincinnati Reds have been relevant maybe two years out of the last. And they had the two zero lead on San Francisco, winning the first two in San Francisco, then right. blowing three straight games at home, and right. nobody but watched I mean, been, because it was like all in the early morning hours. Right, but I mean the the relevant. You're talking about the shortened season two years ago. No, in, in in twelve uh, oh, in twenty twelve because uh, they expanded the playoffs. They had this format where the right. the, the lower seed had the first two at home. And they had to play on like five consecutive days. It was ridiculous. Well, so uh, again, we're coming back to the same thing of you can look. I don't have it all in front of me, but you can look. And by and large, whether it's the Dodgers winning a couple of years ago, uh, you know, the Washington Nationals in a major market with spending. I mean, the, the baseball champions, the baseball contenders year in and year out, it's the major market teams and the teams that have the most money. And then you have a second class that's relying on that central fund to help pay them and help keep them alive. I mean, I'm in Tampa Bay where the mm-hmm. team has been tremendously competitive with a lower payroll, but the owner is basically set. He's bent on, I'm going to keep getting as much of that central fund fund money as I possibly can. And I'm not going to put it back into my product very much because this is how I'm making a profit. And they let him do it. And there's not a salary cap. And that's how the Tampa Bay franchise exists. And a lot of times they have 5,000 people or 7,000 people at their games. And it's the same way in a lot of other markets too. So here's my argument, right? All those teams are still in operation, all of them. So baseball right. has 32 teams. They don't have because they've they set have- up a, they, again. Yeah. So we're clear because they've set up a system where the second tier gets about a hundred million dollars out of the central fund. That as long as you keep your payroll without a salary cap low, you can operate and you can make money. I mean, it's fascinating because the owners that are crying about poverty or crying about we can't pay players, they don't want to reveal to you that they make a $50 million profit off of that Major League Baseball Central Fund. The reason there's that many teams alive is they are being given welfare. There's a word that often makes everybody perk up. They're being given welfare money off the Central Fund. They're being given money to survive and be able to make a profit, even though they're not any good and they're not paying their players. That's baseball. Baseball different than the other three. Go ahead. I guess... To, to kind of bring this very long conversation uh, to, uh, to its conclusion, my point of view is simply, I don't believe that paying players what you would need to pay them in order for money to matter more than all of those other things that people are so irritated about. I don't believe that necessarily has to bankrupt a league. Uh, as you said, in baseball, they have their little fund there to try to you know, keep the smaller teams afloat. And the reality is, if we're going to talk about the market, maybe there are some markets where there should, I mean, there, should there be an NBA team in New Orleans? I mean, honest question, because the reality of the matter is that team is in New Orleans because George Shin uh, had some pretty significant legal issues in Charlotte and was part of that team, the Hornets, becoming very unpopular in market. And uh, two teams were trying to get to Memphis at that time, the Hornets and the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies got there. So New Orleans was the other option. And they were never really over- overwhelmingly committed to that market. And if not for Katrina, they probably would have tried to leave. 
Okay, so moving off of that, you you actually made mention of it at one point too. We have the Live Golf Tour, which played in the United States uh, back uh, this past weekend in Portland. And I have to say they have begun to obviously make some inroads, and I believe this was going to be the case, and it is going to be the case because they're about to play three more tournaments in the United States. Now that it's here, it is a bigger deal that it's in the U.S., time-friendly, et cetera. They're going to play tournaments in New Jersey, in Boston and in Chicago in the coming couple of months here in and around the major championships. So, uh, John, a couple of thoughts on this. The first one is just from a media standpoint, their YouTube audience did go uh, up significantly. For example, their second round of the Live Golf Tour on YouTube uh, was viewed by over half a million people. Their final round ended up being viewed within the first 24 hours because I looked at some point, these people viewed it 600,000 at last check. The final round was viewed by over 700,000. That's not no one. That's not 2 million or 5 million watching a PGA tour event on network TV, but certainly it's more than 23,000 people watching on YouTube. If you have 700,000 watching worldwide United States or whatever. All right. So the, the rhetoric has ratcheted up. The PGA Tour still holding firm on suspending players and trying to hold their ground. The DP World Tour, as it's known, the former European Tour, is now trying to keep guys out of their event this week, the Scottish Open. Three players successfully got an injunction in an English court so that they can play from the Live Golf Tour in the Scottish Open after the DP World Tour, stay with me here on this, tried to keep them out of the Scottish Open. The three players sued. Ian Poulter's the most prominent one of them. He's trying to play this weekend. All right, so, John, what do you make of all of this now that the Live Golf Series is in the United States and is trying to make an impact and it's in and around another major championship coming up, the British Open? Well, one, let's talk about the rating. Remember that all of the ratings we talk about, all the viewership figures are in the average minute. So that's not the equivalent of, you know, what those numbers would be on YouTube. So, Obviously, when we're talking about how many people watch any little bit of a telecast on TV, it's a dramatically higher figure than the average viewership number we typically see. Um, So, but still, 700,000 viewers is not bad. I mean, granted, are there makeup influencers who are getting a dramatically larger audience than that? Of course. Yes. But there's nothing wrong with, you know, you're starting out small. Uh, It's just for the money, you know, I mean, I can tell you right now, SB Nation every week they're doing their little you know uh, their little rewinds into sports history. They're getting a couple hundred thousand for those. You know, I mean, the reality is it's doing fine for that level. Mm-hmm. Is that? I mean, obviously they're not looking to create something hugely popular. The goal, really, to my belief, is that they're trying to basically build their brand, the Saudi Arabians, right? Not really going for a huge audience. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I, I, this is like the third time we've talked about the live golf tour. And this is the only time I ever talk about the live golf tour, you know? Uh, I don't know. I mean, listen, it is a significant enough deal because uh, the names that are being thrown around, including tiger woods, which we'll get to in a second is important, but let's bring it back to sports media. What they ultimately want is they want to be on a television deal on some kind of an outlet. They're trying to make themselves prominent enough. I don't know that they'll get a network TV deal in the United States, but they want to get somebody of the 
Amazon Prime variety, the Apple Plus variety to give them a deal to televise them and give them a rights fee. That's clearly yeah. what part of their goal would be. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's an audience there. I mean, look, the reality is that in sports TV, you can't have a small enough audience for there to be no interest. You know, we got what Premier Lacrosse League on ESPN Plus. There'll be something there. Uh, <laughs> once all the outrage about the Saudi Arabian involvement goes away. But again, even with that, I just don't know how much this is about building, you know, building a big audience. Uh, I, I feel like it's more along the lines of just, uh, you know, one of those things that people with a lot of money do to make themselves, uh, you know, a factor and part of part of the broader culture, not kind of a vanity than, thing, a status yeah. thing. But like, I think like, it's also I know this yeah. part of it is they want the leverage to come back at the PGA Tour in particular, these guys yeah. and get some of the concessions, some of the demands that they had addressed and still be part of the PGA Tour picking and choosing when they can play. So here's a point that I, I think is very relevant uh, to this whole discussion. So Tiger Woods, the number one brand name in golf for the past 25 years, that's not in dispute. He yeah. is, he is by far the biggest name, the biggest draw Phil Mickelson right behind him probably, but he is behind him uh, over the last 25 years of golf. So Tiger's set to return at St. Andrews in a week and a half at the, at the open championship or what we refer to as the British open. Yeah. But let me let me educate you and the audience on something real quick here. So Tiger has not played in an event since the PGA Championship, which again yeah. is not a PGA Tour event, even though it has a similar name. That's a major championship. So Tiger has not played since May and the PGA Championship since early May. He played in an event early this week on Monday and Tuesday that is essentially an exhibition, a guaranteed show up and get your check and get your money exhibition. Rory McIlroy was also there. So was Justin Thomas, prominent American golfer. There are a lot of them getting ready for the British Open, but they showed up for the paycheck. The JP Morgan Pro-Am in Ireland, they showed up for the paycheck. So to these players' argument of we want to play when we want to play and we want guaranteed money because they get guaranteed money for these different things, this is exactly what Tiger and Rory and Justin Thomas were doing earlier this yeah. week at this Irish event. Second level to the point, just on the point of Tiger Woods, he would be the biggest help to the PGA Tour events if he's even there and trying to play. They have played 10 PGA Tour events. I went and counted 10, including the John Deere Classic last week. Since Tiger played at the PGA Championship, he hasn't played in any of them. So part of the argument from these other guys is, hey, he's playing because of injury or whatever reason, where he wants to play, when he wants to play. He's getting a guarantee to show up over here, getting to play a major championship over there. Why can't we as this live golf group dictate the same way where we play right. for guarantees and still play the majors and still be part of all the tours? So I'm just putting that out yeah. there for consumption. That was going on this week with a total pro-am and the golf channel was even televising it i'm going they're televising an exhibition just like the live yeah. golf tour because the big yeah. names are there for guarantees all right john what's your reaction to any of that before we move on off this subject the reality is they're all exhibitions all of these are exhibitions game seven of the nba finals is an exhibition i mean if we're being real um the fact is that you know i mean and they're all playing for paychecks all the time everyone you know uh sandy koufax played for the for the for the paycheck you know babe ruth did I mean, that's what all of this is. These are all exhibitions that people are only engaging in for the paycheck. Now, 
the fact is as well that it's a little bit different with the Live Golf Tour because of the involvement of the Saudis. If they weren't involved and everything else was the same, very few people would have any problem with it. That's just a reality. If, if Jeff Bezos was funding all of this or right. Elon Musk was, I don't think there would be, well, maybe if Elon Musk was, some people would get upset, but whatever, you know, there would not be the outrage. It's because it's the Saudi government. It's because of that. But of course, this is an industry like all of them that, you know, China is certainly, uh, you know, a factor in a lot of things. And we've seen the relationships with Russia and the IOC and FIFA awarding them events. And there's a lot of that in sports. I just ultimately, to me, the big issue with the Live Golf Tour is just I don't know how great the demand is for mm-hmm. this, for these particular players, for a different version of golf. Um, you know, golf is golf is golf is golf, right? You know, they're going to try and do some different stuff with it. I do think that the moral aspect, the moral concern is real, but I think the bigger factor is just, does anyone really need extra golf? And you can't really reinvent the wheel when it's golf, you know, there are things you can do. There's no doubt. This is not the NFL, much less, you know, it's not the NBA with their audience. They're not nearly the percentage of people that care about golf. And the same would be with stock car racing. The same would be with tennis. The same would be with other niche sports, boxing, et cetera, et cetera. There's not near the audience. I get that, but they're having a war from within and, I'm not so sure as we sit here in the early part of July of 2022, it's a war that I think the live golf guys have a great chance to win over the course of the next year on getting what they want, which is we're going to have more leverage with the PGA tour to dictate when we play guaranteed money, uh, et cetera, and still have our tour and still be able to have uh, the chance to play in I mean, major championships. It's that's, player that's autonomy, isn't it? Does it bring it back? It's player autonomy. And so, and so that, and, and that's interesting because we don't need to go back down the rabbit hole for another 15 minutes, but these are ultimate uh, uh, independent contractors. They mm-hmm. don't belong to teams per se, and they are not property of the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour as employees. Those entities are not paying them as employees. They are only paying them for what, the, if they show up, on a guarantee or for what they win in the purse and if, if they if they accomplish it. So they there is truly player autonomy right now in the game of golf to a large extent. I play where I want to play. I go back to, again, Tiger Woods has not played in a PGA Tour event yeah. for 10 weeks. What would happen if a healthy LeBron James didn't play in any NBA regular season games for like, for like a month? What would happen if Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees didn't play healthy in a major league baseball season for like 90 days, just because he doesn't want to play, the Yankees would go crazy. You're healthy. You got to play for us. We're paying you right. Right. Well, and look at the backlash, look at the backlash for players that don't want to play while they're healthy for an extended period of time for whatever the reason is. But you know, Diana Taurasi did that. Diana Taurasi was paid by the Russians to not play an entire season in her prime coming off of a championship as the defending WNBA champion. Why? You're educating me. Why? Well, she played for a Russian team. Her Russian team wanted her to, I guess, play only for them that year. And they gave her a million dollars to not play for the Mercury. Right. To you not know? play for the WNBA team. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there is some precedent for it. I mean, hey, she's still playing for the Mercury. We really need to get more discussion about the WNBA, the, the women's basketball Russia thing really probably needs a 30 for 30 and maybe a little bit more scrutiny. I know people don't feel comfortable criticizing WNBA players or, you know, 
holding them to the same standard we hold male players to, because ultimately it's kind of unfair, right? They don't get any of the fame. So why should they get any of the scrutiny? But I think there's some real scrutiny. Like Becky Hammond played for the Russian Olympic team. Why in the world are we not being more critical of the relationship that, you know, or if not necessarily critical, why are we not scrutinizing it more? Why is there not dialogue? Why is there not debate? Why is there no discussion? Because look, look what has resulted from it. Now you can say, and I've said it before, that the players should have been getting paid more money because ultimately if, you know, the WNBA can say, well, you know, we're operating in, you know, the free market, like, like we talked about, but we know that the demand for women's basketball is not at the level where you can survive in the free market. So there's got to be a level of, I wouldn't necessarily call it charity or anything, but you're going to have to take on losses. Let's be honest. The NBA has lost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars on the WNBA and not unlike the major league baseball central fund, they have funded the WNBA. Despite that they have said, we're going to keep it in business. If it was, if it was based on profit and loss and that, and that part of the equation, the WNBA would have ceased to exist right. at the end of the 90s. And by the way, I'll make this further point, Major League Soccer, if it was the same thing, would have ceased to exist. It lost probably a half billion dollars Major League Soccer lost in the 1990s. But they had a multi-billionaire, multi-billionaire owner uh, in Ann Schultz, if I say the name correctly, who was willing to be the benefactor and keep the league afloat. Despite right. it wasn't based on profit and loss of the LA Galaxy or the uh, the Dallas Burn or uh, or whomever else, I'm going to leave somebody out. Yeah. DC United, it wasn't based yeah. on their profit and loss. With the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars, the Metro right. Stars, right? So the WNBA survived because the NBA was willing to fund it even without making money and with while losing a bunch of money, and it still exists to this day, largely. And for you that know, reason. the reality of the matter is. You can't have it both ways, right? If you're going to say that, oh, well, we're part of the free market, you know, we're not going to pay our players what we can't afford, then why is the league existing then? But if you're going to have it the way that it is, which is that a lot of people are subsidizing the WNBA, Google is subsidizing broadcast and ESPN and ABC. Okay, well, then pay your players more so that the incentive, and again, you know, these are all grown adults. So I'm not going to sit down and say that a grown adult choosing to go play in Russia so they can make a million dollars is somehow, you know, being forced into doing that. No one, no one forced anyone to do this, but to remove the incentive, to remove the, uh, to, to make that Russian offer no longer an offer I cannot refuse, then pay your players more. Right. You know, but we need to talk in my view, and, you know, maybe this is a conversation that, you know, shouldn't be had by two men. I don't know. But there needs to be some real discussion about women's basketball in Russia Good. and the history of it, the history of it, even more so than today, because how we got to this point is because, hey, Brittany Griner played with Diana Taurasi. There's no doubt that well, we know that Brittany Griner asked Diana about playing in Russia and Diana probably gave her a pretty good recommendation by saying, look at my bank account. You know, we, we really need to have a very frank in my view discussion about that history and that leads us to this love it or leave it i mentioned earlier in the podcast wimbledon tennis that is ongoing love it or leave it are you watching some of this despite it's it's largely devoid of americans john you watching 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I was. I had, uh, you know, a, a, a discount of Fubo for a bit there, and that expired. I thought that these matches were airing on ESPN+. Plus. I mean, I've said as much on the site in my schedule page that these matches are on ESPN+. Plus, and ESPN+, Plus does air the matches, uh, but I couldn't watch the Djokovic match today. I couldn't watch the Nadal match yesterday. Uh, those are exclusively on ESPN. Look, at this right. point, at this point, enough is enough already. Everything that for certainly for events that have ESPN plus coverage, if there is extensive ESPN plus coverage, then ESPN plus needs to air all of it, right? It can't just be, well, you know, some of it is on ESPN plus some of it is on, you know, ESPN. If you're going to do this, where you're going to be having extensive ESPN plus coverage of an event, then everything needs to be available. And if I can watch the Stanley Cup final on ESPN plus, I should be able to watch the Wimbledon quarterfinals. That's my point of view. By the way, speaking of Djokovic, because you didn't see it, kudos to him, because when we began doing this podcast, he was losing and in trouble. Uh, and we've been percolating along here doing the podcast. He has come from behind from two sets down to win and make the semifinals later in the week as we release the podcast. And he's going for a five-peat, five consecutive Wimbledon championships. Now, they did not play in 2020, the pandemic year, but he's got the last four. What would that be? 2017, 18, 19, and 21. He's is that going true? For, that is true. He's got wow. the last four. So he's going for five, and he was almost out in the uh, – in the quarterfinal round, but he has moved on into the semifinal round by virtue of his Tuesday win, and we'll see how that ends up uh, for him. Let's get to another one. Love it or leave it. NASCAR continues on on NBC. By the way, another plug for our guys, Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mullen. They will have Rick Allen, the uh, NASCAR on NBC play-by-play voice, on their announcer schedules podcast later in the week. Uh, so the NASCAR series moves to Atlanta. Can I just, uh, can I quickly interject? Sure. I, I'm doing the leave it thing on the road America or whatever that was in Wisconsin this past week. I checked a little bit of it out on TV. Can we bring back the speedway, the, the super speedway at Daytona for July 4th weekend NASCAR? Yeah. I fully realize you want an exciting super speedway in your playoff run, which is why Daytona got moved. But that race was boring with a capital B on the road course yeah. this past weekend. I don't know how that's gripping anybody July 4th weekend, right. John. So I'm putting a leave it on yeah. that. Very bizarre decision to move Daytona out of the July 4th spot. It had been there forever. Firecracker 400, right? Correct. You know, uh, Originally, yes. Yeah. And uh, Reagan, I know not everyone loves Reagan, but uh, Reagan was there one year running for re-election, right? You know, so <laughs> right. the reality is it was a very tradition. It became, hey, know. it became a real ratings getter yeah. in, in on, on prime time on the Saturday night of July 4th weekend, whenever it was. Yeah. And... NASCAR self-inflicted here. They've done this to themselves. Mm -hmm. And again, yeah. I explained the motivation is they want a more exciting race in their playoff run for later in the year, but at the expense of that, just leave it. That was just tough to watch the road course with the NASCARs. Well, road courses are pretty boring generally, aren't mm -hmm. they? I mean, you know, so IndyCar does the road courses because it's so dangerous to do the ovals as we saw with the tragedy with Dan Weldon. But for NASCAR, there's really no excuse. That should be probably what they're doing most of the time. And they, Although, just, did a, they just did a road course a couple of weeks ago at Sonoma. I will say the Rovals, people love the Roval at uh, Charlotte. Uh, and I believe they love the Roval at, at Daytona as well that they had a couple of times. But in general, certainly Road America, 
I've only ever seen a little bit of it, maybe in an IndyCar race. And all I can see in my mind is kind of this gray pavement. You don't even really have fans around it because it's. That's the thing. I was talking about that with the 14 year old twins is you're there in the grandstand and they come by and we talked about this with Daytona, but then it might be three minutes before they're back by again, three and a half minutes before you see a car. Yeah. At least on Daytona, you're up high enough where you could see them kind of going around the turn right. two, the backstretch. Here they come. And it's only like 60 seconds, maybe 75 seconds that they're gone before the cars are back in front of you. That yeah. was that was three or four minutes at times before you're not going to see a car again, at least while they weave around uh, that course. We are almost done here. Love it or leave it. Uh, a curious too, uh, with respect to baseball, it was July 4th. John, are you aware uh, of the, uh, I used to talk about this all the time on national uh, Fox sports radio broadcast. I would frequently work holidays. I would work the July 4th holiday. Are you familiar with the Atlanta Braves, New York Mets game from 1985 on July 4th that went deep into the night? These are the Mets right before they won the 86 world series had all the famous names of Daryl strawberry, doc Gooden, Lenny Dykstra, just go right down. Uh, the list, Keith Hernandez, Rick Aguilera, uh, Ron Darling, who you see on TV now, all of them. All right. They played the Atlanta Braves, the Dale Murphy uh, Atlanta Braves of the of the mid-1980s in the July 4th game in Atlanta that was twice delayed by rain, delayed deep into the night, and then they played 18 innings. Wow. 18 innings. The wow. game very famously known for about the 16th inning of the game where a, a little used relief pitcher named Rick Camp, who had not had a hit in the major leagues as a hitting pitcher in over five years, hit a two out, two strike home run to keep the game alive in the 16th inning. Classic moment on July 4th of 1985. We fast forward. So they, they've actually done some specials on that game. Major League Baseball Network reran that game a couple of times on July 4th just to show it because you had the Braves call on TBS with the legendary voices like Skip Carey, Pete Van Weeren, Ernie Johnson Sr., and John Sterling before he was the Yankees announcer. John Sterling is on the call of the home run by Rick Camp, and it's a tremendous call to keep the game alive in the 16th inning. The Mets eventually won the game in 18 innings. But the New York announcers, including Tim McCarver, were on the local call, too. And the game went on, and then they shot the fireworks off at, like, 3.30 in the morning. And 911 in Atlanta got, like, over 100 wow. calls from people thinking they were under attack because yeah. of the fireworks. All right, bring it to the present. 2022, the Atlanta Braves, on July 4th on Monday night, started playing the St. Louis Cardinals, and the rains came again, John. Yeah. The rains delayed things for, like, over an hour and a half. They finally resumed the game in the fifth inning at close to 11.30 p.m. Eastern time, Atlanta time. They played on until almost 1 a.m. with the Braves eventually winning over the St. Louis Cardinals, and they shot the fireworks off again, this time not in downtown Atlanta, suburban Atlanta, where the new uh, truest stadium is, the Braves stadium is. They shot the fireworks off about 1.10 in the morning Monday night. So love it or leave it. You got to love the Braves. They're going to find a way to shoot the fireworks off in Major League Baseball for July 4th baseball. Just thought I would throw that out there. Very interesting story. I'd never heard about that game before. 3.55 in the morning was when that (laughs) ended. That's ridiculous. And by the way, uh, Davey Johnson, very famously the manager of the Mets, and Daryl Strawberry thrown out when Strawberry was given a strike three call with runners on base. The umpire, I can't remember the name, that threw him out. 
uh, threw Strawberry out and threw Davey Johnson out, said at 2 o'clock in the morning on the 13th inning of a game, there are no such things as balls. Swing the bat. There are only strikes. Swing the bat. We're trying to get out of here in the middle of the night because of the uh, the rain delays. They would I never a, do that today. I, I No, but I had a very good uh, family friend. He and his family were at that game and stayed. Stayed wow. all the way through it until 3.45 in the morning, 3.55 in the morning uh, when they fired the fireworks off. And there were still a couple thousand people at old Fulton County Stadium that had stayed all the way through from a game that had begun eight or nine hours earlier that took 18 innings to play. And incredibly... They played the next day. They came back around, and I think they played a day game. I don't know if it was a night game, but they came back around and played about 10 hours later uh, to play a day game for the Major League Baseball. They need a a tiebreaker like in tennis. Yes. Because, you know, Wimbledon, after that Nadal, uh, after that Isner-Mahout match, they've put in – first they had the 12-12 tiebreaker, and now they have the 6-6 tiebreaker. Right. Right. So all the majors because, because because Isner, the American and Mahout played what, like 85 or 90 games or 130 games or something. They actually they re, I remember they delayed the match because of darkness. Mm-hmm. They resumed the next day when they could resume and they kept playing for like another three hours before they yeah. finally in that final set. Somebody finally won two games in a row and won the match. Yeah. 70, uh, 68. 70 to 68, 138 games in the fifth set. And I'm telling you, when they resumed, John, they played like three hours on the resumption day in the final set. It's yeah. crazy how long they uh, played that day. They, that's that's just ridiculous. Because the other thing, too, I don't remember the match, but it's Isner. So, you know, it's just aces, aces, aces. That's all. a lot of it. Yes. Yeah. And he couldn't I, break Mahut's serve to save his life. Right. Because he had all the powerful aces, but he couldn't he couldn't do it likewise. So the Wimbledon tiebreakers are a good thing. Baseball extra innings, it does go on forever. And that was a very famous July 4th game. I'm just saying they had, I they mean, had makings of it again yeah. some, somewhat 30, what about, uh, seven years later. They had makings of it again, Braves-Cardinals on Monday night. What about ties? You think they would, uh, you think, because I mean, the runner on second to me, you can't do. Ties. Maybe that's the way to go. I li- baseball, ties. I like staying there till it's over. College football used to have the ties. NFL does have a tie after sudden death. Hockey had ties for the longest time. Yeah, at the end true. of overtime. And they, they should ties. because remember they the tie the the, the replacement is a ridiculous uh, shootout that nobody right. takes seriously. Well, but they still do so. that now because they play a five minute overtime in the regular season in the NHL, then they have the the shootout. All right, uh, so I think we covered all of those subjects. Anything else, John, before we are done uh, here from a sports media standpoint? Not really. I mean, I'm sure there's stuff going on that I can't think about right now, but uh, not really. I will say in hockey, they should do overtime in the regular season. You start five on five in the first minute, then four on four, then three on three. Well, they then act, two they've on actually two. gone to three on three. They've gone to three on three sudden death, to your point, to try to get a goal. And three on three is much more uh, advantageous to get a goal. Yes, you will. Well, see I'd rather. I like I'd that. rather. I'd rather do one on one rather than a shootout. Uh, <laughs> although I guess technically one, that is that is, is what a shootout one, is. Right. But player against the goalie. You know, but at they least have taken your advice. I'm just saying they took your advice a few years ago and went to three on yeah. three in regular season sudden death to open up the ice, wear the players down even more, get a goal scored, and end the thing. Or, or you just take the goalies out you know, two empty nets for, for overtime. And then you just have to play incredible defense, you know? 
Could be everyone gets an extra attacker. Could be off, call, off the opening draw of overtime. Somebody could fire into the empty net on New Year Theory. Could happen. Oh, yeah. Hey, all the better, right? It's a regular <laughs> season, so whatever, right? You take the goalies out, and then you just say, you have at it. You let each team have the extra attacker that you get when you have the empty net, and uh, you get crazy intense hockey for two minutes, and everyone goes home. All right. All, uh, all well done. I'm glad that we got through this uh, edition. And again, uh, once more, we varied it up a little bit here. George Offman's podcast uh, coming with Corey McFerrin, the longtime Chicago sportscaster and anchor on Wednesday. Again, Mike and Phil are back with the announcer schedules podcast. Rick Allen of NBC's NASCAR will be here later in the week. We have got a bunch that is still going on here, even in the summertime on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast and the Sports Media Watch uh, podcast feed. John, thank you. Appreciate it as always. Hey, no problem. And we thank you for listening here to the Sports Media Watch podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.